Hello and welcome to the third episode of Austin-esque Musings. I'm Christina Moreland, and today I am so pleased to talk with Meredith Esparza, creator of the brilliant website Austin-esque Reviews. Since 2009, Meredith has been documenting the development of Austin-esque fiction by writing reviews, hosting author interviews, and making lists upon lists of the many books being released in this burgeoning genre. I don't know about you, but if I've ever wanted to find a book that has anything to do with this genre that I love, I go to Meredith's website first. Today, I'll talk to her about the trends she's seen over the course of this past decade, as well as find out some of her thoughts on our favorite characters and storylines. So grab a cup of tea or beverage of your choice and settle in for some Austin-esque musings. Hi, Meredith. Hi. So great to talk to you. Same here. The first question I have to ask you, and this doesn't have to go in the podcast, you can decide. This is a very important question. How's Fezzik doing? <laughs> he is adorable. He is playing right now quietly, so we'll see, yeah. we'll see if he ends up <laughs> staying quiet. <laughs> It'd be good to have like some puppy sounds in the background. Uh, you, you know, I told my, my daughter, who's 10, that you had named your puppy Fezzik. Well, actually, what it was is my daughter's gotten to that age now where she will, like, stand behind me when I'm typing things on the computer, which is problematic in many ways. But uh, especially, like, you know, like when I'm writing a scene, I'm like, um, please do not watch me right now. But she saw me, she saw me writing an email to you. Actually, she saw me writing the word Fezzik, and she's like, Fezzik? And I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm, I'm writing this friend and she has a puppy named Fezzik. And she was, Sophie, my daughter, was very excited about this. She said, you have very good taste because oh, Fezzik is one of her favorite. She just read the book. Oh, wow. Um, sure. And um, yeah, and of course, we've seen the movie several times. And, and so she really loves Fezzik as a character. Oh, yay. I'm happy to hear that. I'm going to say like nine out of ten times when I tell people his name, they have no idea what the name is or where it's from or anything. (laughs) Going to pause the podcast just for a second to ask you, the listener, do you know who Fezzik is? Uh, If so, let me know in the comment here on Anchor or on Facebook or on my website. Um, commenters will be entered into a giveaway for one of my paperback books. That's in honor of Meredith, who loves reading paperbacks. Um, and so now, let's get back to the podcast and figure out how Fezzik, that mystery character, connects to Austin-esque. But I'm, I'm really grateful that you put you know, your pictures of Fezzik up on the on your website he's so cute and um yeah I love seeing all the beautiful places you go and that that's what sort of led me to wonder like do you have a favorite place to read I love to read outside so Mm -hmm. I can bring a book and go anywhere and be perfectly content but I do especially love to read at the beach just something about hearing the waves and feeling the sun and smelling, you know, what the beach smells and the water. I really like that the most. But other than that, I have a couple of favorite spots here in my town or, you know, just in a hammock somewhere is always nice to do. Yeah, those, those sound like all really beautiful and relaxing places to read. Are you able to, even with the ocean, are you able to sort of forget where you are and just sort of fall into the book? 
Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's one of my favorite feelings, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes I'll like look up for my book and be like, oh, there's storm clouds coming or oh, <laughs> someone else has left the beach except me. <laughs> well, so what first drew you to reading Austin-esque fiction or brought you to the whole Austin-esque community? It's kind of funny. I think it's a funny story because yeah. I was brought to Jane Austen through Charlotte Bronte. <laughs> I was assigned Jane Eyre to read for AP Lit class in high school and I read it over the summer and I loved it so much. I thought it was just a fantastic book. I just loved the characters, loved the writing. With that assignment, I think we were given a list of other books that we should maybe uh, check out or, or might be of interest and I thought, well, I'm taking AP Lit. I probably should keep reading more this summer. And on the list was Pride and Prejudice. So I also read that over the summer and loved it, thought the same thing. This is just, you know, I think I was like, British literature is my jam. I found <laughs> this is so what I wanted to be doing. Um, and then from there, I read Emma. You know, aside from musicals and things like that, I've seen in the past, it was like probably my first period drama and um, was a really big fan of it with the costumes, scenery everything English about it. You know, I remember seeing that movie with my husband when we were first dating and his favorite line to quote still is like where Mr. Elton's like, a party is a party, but a Christmas party. <laughs> From there um, to Austin-esque, I, I think I was reading Emma while I was on the beach on vacation and um, a family friend saw I was reading it and told me how much they love Jane Austen. And they were like, well, you should read Jane Fairfax. It's Emma, but it's from Jane Fairfax's point of view. And I was so excited because I was like, that sounds fantastic. I really, really love Emma. So I um, <laughs> went home and like went to Borders and Barnes and Noble. I don't know if Bo- everybody knows what a Borders is. It's a... Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> sadly gone. Um, yeah. Yeah. I went there looking in the Jane Austen section for a book called Jane Fairfax because this was like back in the early 2000s and you didn't immediately think of Googling everything that you have a question about. So I literally went to like many bookstores looking for Jane Austen, um, Jane Fairfax by Jane Austen <laughs> and I could never find it. Um, I <laughs> I eventually like was looking in my library and I guess, you know, cause they have computers that you're searching to like find the location of a book. Mm-hmm. I found it and I thought it was by a different author. <laughs> <laughs> it was by Joan Aiken. <laughs> and then I read it and I really loved that story. And it was a really cool and clever way of kind of showing that Jane Fairfax is the unknown heroine the whole time. Everything that we know about her is kind of slanted a little bit differently. And yeah, I think from there, I kind of wisened up and decided to check out things like Amazon <laughs> when I'm reading <laughs> books. And of course, Amazon's super helpful, showing you like recommendations all the time. But it was still in the early 2000s. So a lot of the books were um, out of print. They were just very, very few in number compared to what we have now. Well, that's that's wonderful. It's like a, a travel through Jane's. And I love that, like, you know, from Jane Eyre to Jane Austen to Jane Fairfax, <laughs> there is such delicious irony in the fact that Bronte brought you to Austen. Considering wasn't it, wasn't it Bronte who sort of was like, Austen, you know, she's so provincial or she's so narrow-minded. I don't know, she did 
I don't think she really liked Jane Austen. Is that right? Or right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she had a couple of uh, uh, insulting comments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we can, I, I mean, given that she wrote Jane Eyre, which I also love, I'll, I'll forgive her, her um, mm-hmm. inability to recognize the genius of Austen. It is, it is interesting to think about how from the early 2000s, you know, you could find a few books here and there that were published Mm-hmm. to now with, with Amazon and self-publishing and um, all the different Austin S boards out there. So you must have seen a lot of change over this time period in the genre. So I was curious about what your thoughts are on different trends you've seen over the years. Yeah, I think uh, the whole self-publishing, I remember mm-hmm. just the very first efforts of that from authors like Abigail Reynolds. That's what brought it back to being in print in a way, because before mm-hmm. that, of the books I were I was reading were they were out of print and they were like written in the 80s and 90s so it was like nobody was really doing a lot to release a lot of current stories seeing that it kind of picked up I guess more around 2008 and 9 with like the popular movies of or mm-hmm. like the Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and a lot of the new adaptations, miniseries that kind of brought more attention to it. I think probably one of the, the trends that is most prevalent to me is that it's always endlessly expanding the genre. Yeah. It's not I'm, I, down or dipped. It's kind of just, it's always growing. Well, I'm so impressed always that every month that you publish these, you know, novel finds and that you are what you what you've found over the month and just <laughs> just the numbers and I, I mean I you know I laugh knowing I'm contributing to that but like it's just uh it's mind-boggling right all those all mm-hmm. those books coming out yeah it's, it, and I remember reading or um hearing a little bit about like how around 2009 and 10 with with like the movies and the adaptations that mm-hmm. we're kind of considering it a Jane Austen bubble or something like that like mm-hmm. We we're about to leave the bubble. Uh, it was popular. It was a fad, and maybe it's not going to be, or it's going right. to be. And I was like, I think they were wrong. That's definitely yeah. not what happened. Yeah, absolutely. And that that makes me wonder. I mean, what is it? And I'm sure you've answered this question in other places. So forgive me for making you answer it again. But I'm always curious about people's takes on. Why, you know, especially Pride and Prejudice, of course, right? Because that's sort of the foundation of so much Austin-esque fiction. What is it about Pride and Prejudice that you think draws so many authors to write about it still and so many readers to seek it out in different forms? I think that's such a fun question for discussion. I really, I, I, mean, I would hope it's okay. I can ask you to answer it as well after I oh, yeah. answer it. Um, Cause I just, I spent some time thinking about it already. And um, it's, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, Cause you can kind of see there's so much merit and, and wonderfulness in all of Jane Austen's uh, books, but for sure, Pride and Prejudice is just much um, more beloved and, and much more widely read and, and written about. So I think as far as readers, I think um, it is because of all the elements that are combined in Pride and Prejudice. It just combines mm-hmm many wonderful great attractive things like Darcy and Elizabeth um, being very complex and well-drawn characters you know 
Jane Austen gives us just the right amount of detail and background about their lives and, mm-hmm. and um, their character traits. Um, you have Elizabeth being, you know, wonderful feminist role model and refusing mm-hmm. Proposals, you know, doing something that's just so strong and brave. You have, you know, the whole hate to love kind of yeah. trope that's just so fun to explore with characters, you know, starting with just such an opposite kind of feeling toward each other. And then that um, relationship and feelings evolving doing like a complete 180. Then you have uh, kind of, it's a little bit of a, you know, Cinderella fairy tale, somebody who's poor or not as rich getting to marry the rich guy. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think, I think it's for all those things together. It's just like jackpot of a lot of great, great, um, interesting elements. And I was thinking of it from an author standpoint, which I'm not an author. So <laughs> that wasn't, as easy to do and I was trying to figure out why is it what authors like to write about more you know is it easier is it is it just much more inspiring and I was thinking maybe the answer might be for in Pride and Prejudice it is just full of coincidences it's kind of just like an easy thing or I don't want to say easy to say it's like oh you guys you know authors are taking the easy way out but I think it's probably just such an interesting way to play with the story by changing some of those coincidences or you just changing one coincidence and then you have like a whole new avenue to explore. That's what I was maybe thinking, but I can't really speak for, for authors choosing to write it. I know, I know um, it is popular with readers. So that's maybe why a lot of authors do like to write books for Pride and Prejudice because they know they're they're giving readers what they really want. <laughs> I, I think those are all really great, you know, reasons. I love that description of it as a jackpot. It's like a literary jackpot. You're absolutely right. I mean, and it's just such a foundation for so many of the romance tropes. I mean, I, you know, which is interesting because of course, Pride and Prejudice is not, I think, for me, when I read it, every time I come to it again and go to the original source, it's actually not what I think of as a romance. Um, obviously, the romance between Elizabeth and Darcy is so compelling, but there's so much time where they're not together. And it's, you know, there's a lot of about family dynamics and there's so much wit and humor in there and so much social commentary as well. But, you know, that, as you mentioned, that enemies to lovers or the sort of hate to love kind of trope. Um, definitely opposites attract the Cinderella themes, all those things sort of find such great expression and pride and prejudice. Any good story has to have something about power and it has to have something about change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in pride and prejudice, both characters, both main characters have to change as a result of what they've learned about themselves and about other people. And, the power, like, it, it, this relates to the Cinderella theme a little bit. Elizabeth, unknowingly, for a good part of the book, sort of has, you know, has kind of captured Darcy and some his fascination, for sure, which is such a subversion of, like, the actual power dynamics in that world, right? And her ability mm-hmm. to say no to him, which you pointed out was so brave, that is something that brings that power moment to a head and it's mm-hmm. it's so much fun to kind of think about that kind of you know and maybe power is a weird word to use but I think of it to some extent as these power dynamics I love to believe at the end they come to each other as equals yeah. um 
they start off on different, you know, he thinks he's in one plane and she's in another. And then the kind of power flips as he falls in love with her and she's not in love with him. And then we get to see that balance, hopefully by the end, when they both love each other. Well, I know you read a lot more than just Pride and Prejudice, and you give a lot of attention to those other novels that Austin's written and the, the, the fiction that's based on that, um, as well as minor characters in Pride and Prejudice. Like I saw you're, re- you're reading right now about Mary Bennett, right? I think a mystery yeah. based mm-hmm. on Yeah. So I wondered, what, what for you is the appeal of the non-Elizabeth Darcy story? Well, I... I just love anything that's bringing me in contact with Jane Austen characters. I, of course, love Elizabeth and Darcy, but I love all her characters. So mm-hmm. I'm always happy to just spend time with any groupings of them. Um, <laughs> from Northanger Abbey, Persuasion. And yeah, I love the secondary characters. I just think there's so much, you know, she, she drew them so well. They're, they're interesting in their own right and have you know, possibilities of futures and and from what we know and what we don't know about them. It's always fun to see what authors can kind of put together or what they think of that character. You know, do they, mm-hmm. how do they portray Mary Bennett? I've seen Mary Bennett uh, portrayed lots of different ways. Sometimes she's right. always just reserved to herself and, and very studious or, or um, pious. Or sometimes she's like, you know, she's quiet, but she's not really showing her true self to her family. Mm-hmm. So and there's like this whole hidden, Mary's really a whole different person than what mm-hmm. she should be outside. Based on our conversation so far, I, I'm, I have a, a guess in my head about the answer to this next question. So we'll, we'll see if I'm right or wrong. So I was going I, I to ask you if you have a favorite among Austin's major works and if or you could either a favorite or a book that you like find yourself just going back to time and again well I I really do love them all and I I will read all of them and it's yeah sometimes it's really like the order of favorite could change depending Mm -hmm. on the most recent one I read but yeah for the reasons um we discussed I think Pride and Prejudice is very complete and wonderful <clears throat> as a whole. And I also really love Emma because it's very special to me. And just the characters in it are so, some of my most favorite characters, I think. Yeah, I was, I was wondering if Emma was going to be, was going to be on the top after, you know, mm-hmm. after what I learned about Jane Fairfax and that book <laughs> and about just you, you're, you're coming to Emma. That's, and it's such a, there's, it's such a funny book. And what, what do you have? Uh, this is just sorry, off the cuff question. Did you see the 2020 um, Emma adaptation? Yeah, most recent. What did, and what did you think of that? I liked it. Um, I thought it was beautiful to watch. I don't know if it was it tops my favorite of Gwyneth Paltrow, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I just saw it like I don't know a month ago or something. Um, so I felt really behind the times, but. I loved it. I thought it was so much fun as, you know, for the reasons you were saying and, and just, I, you know, I thought the Emma Knightley, Mr. Knightley, I always feel bad when I say Knightley, like I'm Mrs. Elton saying Knightley. <laughs> the Emma, Mr. Knightley kind of chemistry I thought was really, was really fun in that one too. Yeah. I liked how they showed that a little bit more showing what, you know, the moments that they were kind of feeling jealous or mm-hmm. you know, I kind of like that they exposed that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Although I will, I, I agree with you. There, there is something very special about the Gwyneth Paltrow and I, you know, is it Jeremy Northam is his name, right? Like that mm-hmm. badly done, Emma, badly done. That will always sort of be in my head, right? That, oh, that yeah. moment after the, after she was so unkind to Miss Bates. You know, and I think that's another big thing about well, Emma and Pride and Prejudice both. And I mean, so many of Austin's works, right? These, I love the flaws in these, in, in these main characters, you know, that because it's so, we all have flaws. It's so right. it's so wonderful to sort of see them struggle with them and kind of come to terms with and try to overcome some of those struggles, like, you know, those flaws. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it yeah. makes your characters feel so much more authentic than probably other writers um, at her time that show just, you know, a lot of perfect heroines and, right. and people that weren't doing, making any mistakes. By making her, you know, heroines imperfect, she actually gave them a little bit more agency, more to do, right? Than if, you know, I think a perfect heroine often had to be, the situation around her had to be bad in order to make the story interesting, right? You need some sort of conflict. And if it's not coming from her, it's got to come from other people. And then she's got to be rescued or she's got to be like a victim of circumstance. But Austin really gave agency to her female characters because they kind of get themselves into some scrapes and they have to get yeah. themselves out of those scrapes. You know, here's another secondary character, right, who is always fun to develop in my mind, which is Georgiana Darcy. And mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about her specifically because not to say that she should only be associated with the piano or you should only be associated with the piano, but I know that you do teach piano. And so since you're both a piano player and a great reader. I think Darcy would would very much consider you an accomplished person. Um, All right. Georgiana Darcy, is she more of a Mozart girl or does she dig Beethoven? That's a really fun question too. Yeah. I'm going to say that from what we see of her and know about her being um, shy and reserved, you could maybe... Mm -hmm. Outside, but I think she's got Darcy for a brother, so she might be very similar to him with the whole um, that reserve lies, you know, great feeling and emotion. So I'm going to say she might be probably more drawn to Beethoven. All right, so my my last question for you is, since we can't ever get enough Austin-esque. I find it really hard not to wonder sometimes what it would be like to be in one of Austin's novels. And of course, there are so many people who've written great books that, you know, we're a 21st century person. Like I just recently read Alexa um, Adams's Being Mrs. Bennett, right? Where she plops a 21st century woman into uh, one of Austin's novels. But um, if you had the ability to jump into one of Austin's books and live in that fictional universe, for a fortnight, um, which book would you choose? Who would you be and why? I think that is such a fun question as well. Um, goodness, I would want to say maybe I'd answer like uh, jump into Persuasion or Northanger Abbey just mm. for the being able to travel a little bit because, you know, there oh. are some trips in both of those novels. Um, but yeah. I might also just say I would want to go to, I feel like broken record. I might want to go to Emma because I think Highbury is like the most charming place mm. out of all the Austin settings, you know, like I would, I guess maybe if it was longer than a fortnight, I'd definitely be like, I'd settle in Highbury and live there <laughs> and be perfectly content. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, maybe one of the others to enjoy the experience of, you know, trips to Bath or 
lime or But this has been a lot of fun. I love hearing about your many thoughts on on Austin and all the things related to Austin. So I'm so grateful to you for taking the time to try this out. My pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me. So now I'm curious, which book would you want to jump into for a fortnight? Would you join Meredith in Highbury, or would you become Elizabeth Bennett in the hopes of bantering with Mr. Darcy? Is there any intrepid soul out there who would join Fanny Price in her cold attic room at Mansfield Park? Leave a comment at my website, on Facebook, or here at Anchor, and I'll choose one random commenter to receive one of my paperbacks. This, by the way, is in honor of Meredith, who is a dedicated reader of paperback books. Join me next time, hopefully in about a month, when I plan to have a conversation with three lovely women who became friends because of Austin-esque fiction. Yay for Jane Austen! Until then, happy reading to you all.